Dory Futures Academy. This week, we're talking about the role of writers in immersive storytelling. Some of the biggest IP on the planet is beginning to wake up to the possibilities that virtual reality can offer. In the last year, Star Wars and Doctor Who have launched VR experiences for the Oculus Quest, and it's clear that writers are going to have an increasingly important role in the creation of new character-led experiences. I'm Shahani Fernando, and this is the Story Futures Academy podcast. I find myself floating, floating, floating. Welcome to virtual reality, or VR. You don't know what it's like to stand where I'm standing. Just look around you. You are going to undergo many different kinds of reactions. Writers are used to creating worlds from the comfort of their own desks and then handing over the script often for someone else to make. But creating immersive worlds is not something you can do alone. Only in this sector will a writer find themselves working closely with creative technologists, project managers, animators, game designers, and many others in order to realise their vision. This is a steep learning curve, and if you're used to writing for film and TV, it can be quite a shock to the system. But don't worry, as you'll find out, the rules are still very much being established, and you can be part of that process. In this episode, we're going to join the team at Maze Theory, who've taken one of the BBC's most popular shows on TV, Peaky Blinders, and are turning it into a character-led immersive experience. But first, let's talk to Adam Gantz. He's a writer for film, TV and radio, teaches script writing at Royal Holloway University, and is also head of the Writers' Room at the Story Futures Academy, which runs short courses for writers looking to enter this space. Welcome, Adam. Tell me what you're trying to do with the writer's room exactly. What we're trying to do is bring writers largely from the traditional screen industries, which is kind of film, TV and games, but spreading wider. And I guess fiction and drama are probably the biggest providers for writers in certainly in film and television and get them to think about what's involved in writing for immersive. And what does that look like? Because it's quite a big jump, isn't it? What are the key cornerstone bits of advice you give them in terms of thinking about writing for spatial content? Well, I think it's actually, it's very interesting because writers think spatially very often, but they imagine it directly without kind of needing technology to kind of recreate this. In fact, one of the things that we've discussed is people talk a lot about VR as standing for virtual reality, but in fact, it's an illusion. I'm a firm believer that actually how people use technologies to build stories is structurally similar, I think, whether it's using kind of crushed tree with carbon, which is what happens when people read a book, or whether people using kind of electrons either to make words on a screen or actually to recreate a virtual reality world. It's always about how do you make the audience want to come into your world and how do you kind of make them want to stay there. One of the things that I think is incredibly exciting about this space is that everyone 
very quickly finds themselves out of their depth one way or another. And nobody knows yet what the language of this new space is because it hasn't been fully invented yet. In the cinema, it took maybe 10 years before the audience and the filmmakers agreed on what the language and conventions were. And I think VR and AR are at similar places and people will know it when they see it or when it makes them seamlessly enjoy something that they couldn't otherwise enjoy. What is it exactly that writers do in the immersive space? Because in lots of cases, it's not necessarily just writing dialogue, is it? It's more about using the affordances of the medium to push the story forward and dealing with things like the fact that the audience can't talk back to a character. Writers are great at solving constraints. One of the things that's come out in in some of the workshops is that uh, when technologists and writers are in the same space and thinking about the same problem, uh, suddenly you can say, oh, we don't need to build that then, or we can find other ways of using what you have built. And I think when people start to understand what the other side's problems are, um, you can really together find ways of solving them. There's a redness in the West, blood on the moon, a fire in the sky, and it's coming this way. I'm going to blow the whole thing to kingdom come. That was a bit of the trailer from The Drowned Man by Punch Drunk, one of the UK's leading immersive theatre companies. So you've been working with them to deliver workshops that help writers make the transition to the immersive sector. And I mean, Punch Drunk pioneered these free roaming productions such as Sleep No More, The Drowned Man, with intricate sets and story worlds. What have you learned from them in terms of creating immersive work? Well, it's hugely exciting to work with Punch Drunk because they have so much experience in preparing an audience, in seducing an audience maybe, in I hesitate to use the word deceiving the audience, but making leading the audience or making the audience go where they want them to go, make them notice the things that they want them to notice, make them kind of imagine things that, you know, that are in the next room, they haven't yet been there, so that they also trust the audience, I think, and they're quite happy to say that, audiences may have different experiences one from another and that doesn't matter as long as the audience is satisfied and a principle in screenwriting which I'm very interested in but which I think applies also to this field is Billy Wilder said let the audience add two plus two and they'll love you forever what does it mean when you understand different consequences either of looking or being looked at or What does it mean to have more power than you normally do or even maybe less power than you normally do? But to explore all of those possibilities is actually a fantastic gift for writers and for audiences and probably for human beings. One writer that came through the Story Futures Academy Writers Room was Kerry Colby. Kerry's an award-winning screenwriter and an alumni of the National Film and Television School. In 2019, she attended one of our two-day workshops with Punch Drunk and is now working with immersive studio Maze Theory on the new Peaky Blinders VR experience, which is deep in production. It's her first foray into writing for interactive and immersive stories. We're Peaky Blinders. We're not scared of coppers. We will rid this city of his kind. Justice will be done. If you want to be part of my organisation, you have to make sacrifices. 
So, Kerry, in terms of writing for something like this, where do you start? Because obviously you want to transport the user into this incredibly rich world, but you need to move them through scenes and make sure they sort of do all the things that you want them to do. How did you get your head around that, coming from more of a linear film and TV background? Yeah, well, that's kind of one of the big differences between writing for TV or film and writing for VR is you're building the experience around the player to make sure that they have physical interactions and decision points that affect the outcome of the game. But obviously they can't talk either, so they need to be mute. So that's one of the big hurdles. The challenge of it makes you come up with interesting ways to get around it. So one of the first things was kind of writing a list of all of the cool stuff that you would like. What would you want to do if you're in the world of Peaky Blinders and you got to meet Tommy? People speculate about this stuff on Facebook. I saw on Facebook yesterday someone had written, oh, if you got invited to the garrison to have a drink with Tommy, what drink would you have? Because I'm following some of the fan sites. And hundreds of people saying what drink they would have and where they would sit. (laughs) And, you know, they're, they're people very, very into it. So it's like, what are the things you'd want to do and which are the things that we want to actually do in a game? So do you want to be able to have a drink, smoke? Do you want to take drugs? And then, yeah, like important decision points, like what would make you, do you choose to shoot the person you've been asked to shoot or not? Do you betray somebody? Do you betray Tommy? You know, it's um, asking ourselves a lot of those questions about what are going to make the player feel an emotional reaction. So it's about putting the player at the heart of the experience, isn't it? And in a piece that has six degrees of freedom, i.e. you can really explore the space and walk around, how do you direct their attention and send them on the journey you want them to go on? Everything needs to come from that person's perspective. So you're trying to think of ways that they can affect the outcome of the story and create branches so they feel like they've got genuine choice and that they are genuinely free to move around the space. You've got to try and trick them into thinking that they have agency and that they're not being led around even though they kind of are so yeah I I think when we're writing scenes or we're planning a scene we're looking for a decision a, a desire and a goal that somebody in the scene wants to fulfill and then how can the player help them achieve that goal or it might be that the player comes in with a goal so they might need to retrieve something from a safe say then it's about what are the obstacles that are going to come into their way and how do they create different interesting mechanisms for the player to use the tools of interactive so are they going to use a gun to defend themselves are they going to move things are they going to run in and save somebody lots of different kind of physicality things that they can do that it's trying to use everything in your toolbox really physically can you tell us a little about what you've learned about creating characters for immersive worlds every character has their own stories because they need to feel Like they're not just waiting for you to walk in as the player and then suddenly their life starts and they're just interested in you. It needs to feel like they're getting on with their own agenda and they've got a plan that you then stumble into and start to affect. Famously, you know, people in VR want to wander around and look at everything and pick things up and they don't want to stand there watching people talk to each other. That'd be super boring. Too much dialogue. People just don't catch a lot of it so if it's an important point you need to make sure that it is said more than once but also trying to embody things in objects as much as possible so the player might have an inventory of what they're carrying they might be asked to get a token or bring an object to to deliver news by passing an object because he can't speak as well so they might give an object to say 
this is an invitation or this represents some bad news or you know what it means or whatever the, you know what I mean? It's like trying to find a way of making an object carry the meaning. It's all different ways to overcome the challenges of the person not being able to talk. Have you tried to give people a very clear understanding of what their role is? Yeah, so some, I mean, again, we'll see how successful it is and we're still writing the we're kind of at that Bible stage, so it will come out in the detail of the script more. But already we're kind of thinking, say the player meets a character, the character can say, I'll remember you and give you a little bit of information about yourself. So that's one way of kind of, you learn about who you are, but again, not in a hugely specific way, but you're learning about how you came to be where you are, what your backstory is and what people think about you from the way they treat you and the things they say to you. Um, rather than obviously if you're watching a movie you would watch what the character does and the viewer would decide oh right that's a bad guy or that guy's a coward or so it's kind of giving giving it to the characters to deliver to you and usually the the classic way of hiding that exposition is to make it ammunition so the characters are kind of attacking you with information about yourself so you you you're feeling attacked but you're also <laughs> gathering oh right you think I'm a coward okay I must have done something you don't quite know you'll gradually piece together what it is you've actually done one of the main differences with dialogue for the VR is you find yourself trying to use dialogue to tell the player what they need to do next and that's a really dangerous path to go down because you can very quickly pull the characters out of how they should be behaving to be authentic and the fact that it was such a well-known show and this big bit of IP how has that impacted how you write for VR because People are so familiar with these characters and their backstories. Have you had to liaise quite closely with the actual production team uh, who make the show? It's very precious IP to the people who created the show. Also, it's very important that our representation of their characters is authentic and doesn't tread on the toes of the show or do anything Mm. that people think, well, the character wouldn't do that. When we lock down a different stage of the process, we run it by their producers and they're great. You know, they'll say, you can make this even better and can you make sure that that's really well motivated? Are you sure Tommy would do that? And and we make sure that, you know, we're not outside of the the spirit and the kind of actuality of, of what Peaky Blinders is. So I'd love to get a few tips for people who are totally new into writing for Immersive. What do you think the really key considerations are before they start? Well, a massive part of it is is teamwork and being really open to a collaborative process because you're constantly kind of balancing out and calibrating the needs of the game mechanics and the needs of good storytelling. They can be very different. So you're kind of always finding ways to interlock the two things without compromising the quality of either of them. You want it to be as good as it can be. It's not about ego or whose idea is the best idea. You just want to harvest everyone's ideas and get the best ones. Great parting thought from Kerry. It is indeed very collaborative. And the person who oversees all that collaboration between designers, developers and writers at Maze Theory is studio director Russell Harding, who's passionate about pushing character-led virtual worlds. His experience has been guiding Kerry and the rest of the team to make our journey into Birmingham in the 1920s as dramatic as possible. But previous to May's theory, he spent a number of years at PlayStation, experimenting with some early character-led VR. 
So I'm sitting in one of my favourite locations. I'm in a pub in the East End and I can hear, I can hear the traffic and sirens outside. Uh, and I can hear a crowd downstairs having a really great time playing some music. But actually I'm, I'm up here all alone. It's, 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 quite, it's quite dim. Someone's just come in actually through the door. He's looking slightly antagonistic. It looks like he's about to deliver me an important message. There's a cigar here though, and I think I, I might light that so I can join him with a, with a smoke. And there's a drink here too, so I might have that. Actually, it's a bit scary. <laughs> Russ, we'll talk about London Heist, which you directed for PlayStation in a moment. But I want to talk to you first about your early days at Lego. What did you learn from that stage of your career about play? One of the great things I learned at Lego was the study of play patterns. So be that children or adults, but how, how you empower people to play, how you give them the tools and how you use story to inspire them. So story's been at the heart of the Lego experience for quite some years now, mm. and they've really perfected it in, in the sense of being able to use it as a jumping off point for kids to create. And that's really inspiring when you're starting to think about how you use technology and place people in immersive sort of storytelling settings. We came up with a product called Spybots, which was all about some spy robots that you could program to carry out various different missions. So it was a real cross between the physical world and the virtual world. So the virtual world was a world that we created around these three 3D spy robots that you could then program. And then in the physical world, they carried out that action. You then spent a long time at PlayStation working for Sony, particularly at that time when they were bringing out new VR experiences. And one of those was called London Heist. You'd been thinking about developing character-led VR for some time. What did you want to get out of London Heist? Yeah, the London Heist was really, I suppose, our ambition to see if we could actually take a play and place them in the middle of a story and make them feel consistently present whilst having an animated character in front of them and make it feel as though that character is believable. And there are lots mm. of technical hurdles and challenges around real-time animation. But we did create some very early prototypes and we felt that actually there was something quite compelling in a character that was quite reactive to you being in that space. And the thing about making characters really believable and authentic, is that obviously partly the the writing but what else does that draw from are you looking at both the dialogue but also their acting or how do you, how do you really create that believability i think believability is the right word rather than realism so we felt quite strongly that we wanted to step just slightly back from a very realistic character because we wanted uh, to avoid the uncanny valley but we also wanted them mm. to be compelling characters to watch we decided to cheat a little in the sense of taking a really well-known genre so that the player would or the user would have a total expectation as to how they would be in that world. So taking something like mm. the gangster, obviously fairly Guy Ritchie influenced and placing people in there helped drive that story and the characters for it. Also taking actors that performed in theatre, thinking about how they use their performer's presence on stage to keep directing you around that space. So, for instance, it was important during the pub scene where there's a lot of story and dialogue being directed at the player that we want them to absorb, that we kept that character interesting, that they were always either moving or they were walking in and out of light or they were passing something to the player just to maintain their focus 
and keep drawing them back to key points in the narrative. A lot of that came down to lots and lots of planning, everything from storyboarding out a scene in a kind of very classic way, but then blocking out that scene with 3D characters, putting on the headset and getting into that space, thinking about where your eyes being drawn. And then we went, even with the actors and performers, we, we went to classic sort of screen reads and sort of mm. table reads, moved around that space before we even got to start working with things like mocap, just so that we felt really confident about the performance. By the time we get to capture, because there aren't many edits in real-time uh, generation, <laughs> or it's very expensive to edit. We've heard quite a bit from Kerry about her experience of writing for Peaky Blinders in VR. But from your perspective as the person heading up this project, what's your ambition for the piece? For us, it's really important that if we work with IP, that we get an opportunity to create a story within that world. So with Peaky, they, we, we really wanted to take on drama and character, and it's incredibly difficult and expensive to take on as a, an indie developer, but we really wanted to deal with character in VR because just the, the function of, a, sort of having a believable character is, is pretty complex. You know, the characters are amazing in Peaky yeah. Blinders. They're such interesting characters to me, and the worlds are so beautiful. But for us, it was also about taking something like drama and then immersing you in that world. And I suppose putting our faith in using characters to drive the narrative forward. So we find that when we're talking about character, it doesn't sit with one discipline. And it is quite interesting because obviously we make a 3D character and that sits with a character artist and a concept artist. But then we have animators that animate it. We have software engineers that help with various systems that bring it to life and then we have designers that are coordinating it and then we have writers that are writing for the character and then we have voiceover actors or mocap actors and then we have sound studios and then we have spatial sound so actually even out of that team of 20 you can probably expect another 10 to 15 people all working around various different parts of, of, of the game. And then I want to talk a little bit about the AI work you're doing, because I think you're having characters that are quite responsive to you, depending on how you behave. Is that right? So again, when we were looking at believability, go back to things like the London Heist, there were lots of little subtleties that we were able to sort of predict that maybe players might, behaviours they might carry out, and then we were able to sort of sometimes throw in an alternative behaviour that made you feel as though that character is responding to you. But of course, they're, they're really not. And when we start to think about player movement and being able to move around an environment, if we aren't able to have a character that's at least aware of where that the presence of you, you as a, a player is in that scene, they become quite dumb and quite puppet-like. Mm. Also, with the large number of objects you can interact with, if they have no response to those, again, it starts to feel as though you're, you're sitting with a puppet. So for us, it was looking at AI as to how we could help enhance the performance that was there and add believability. Thank you so much to Russell. We look forward to the experience coming out in 2021. So I hope this has helped you writers out there get a feel for what's ahead of you. We've learned some clever tips for navigating the fact that in VR, your main character can't speak. We've learned about the incredible attention to detail that is needed to make characters believable. And we've learned some of the logic that helps people feel their own agency within a story. 
For perhaps that's the biggest lesson of all, that the audience is at the very centre of an immersive story. If they're embodying a character, they need to know what to do, and of course want to do it. Yet at the same time, they want to discover the story for themselves by doing things. They must be the ones to take their own story forward. And for a writer in the immersive space, it's worth bearing in mind that the audience is always right. As with all the programmes in this series, you can explore the subjects we've been discussing through the links in our show notes and also by viewing the Story Futures Academy podcast pages on the website. That's storyfutures.com forward slash podcast. Join us next time when our guests will tell us what we can learn from how audiences use immersive tech and their responses to immersive experiences, as well as how to attract new audiences into this new space. We'll hear from Dr. Larissa Whitaker from Royal Holloway University, Catherine Allen from Limino Immersive, and producer Zilla Watson. Story Futures Academy is the UK's National Centre for Immersive Storytelling and is funded as part of UKRI's Audience of the Future Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund. 